Welcome everyone to New Beginnings Church Online for this weekend. This is Compassion Weekend. And if someone were to ask me why would I teach on compassion, on the compassion of God during the Christmas season, I would have to say, how do we separate Christmas from compassion when it's, it was God's compassion uh, for mankind, for you and for me, that caused him to send Jesus to this earth? Psalm 103 verse 8 states this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. In this series, we are preparing our hearts to experience the reality of the nature of God in Christmas. And that key word for this weekend is compassion. Compassion. Having a heart for the condition of another, but not just pitying another. Having a heart for the condition of another, but willing to take action to relieve that condition, that situation, that circumstance. And that is certainly the heart of God that we see in Christmas, through Christmas, surrounding everything about Christmas. Uh, Christmas, in a very real sense, overflows with compassion. To think that God the Father could love us so much that he himself would come to the earth in the form of his son so that we who were eternally lost would have the opportunity to repent of our sins, to renounce uh, the, the, the darkness of this world, and to reconnect with our Father in heaven. That is an act of compassion from our God in heaven towards us. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. A good father is compassionate. He may not like or may not agree with the conduct of his children, but he will never hesitate to jump in that hole with his child and to get that child out of trouble, not to go and lambast him, not to go and say, I told you so, not to go and say, you deserve this, you made your bed, now sleep in it. Compassion takes action on behalf of the individual who is suffering. And that is the heart of our Father. And I hope that you're seeing that. And I hope that, that this message causes you to have a perspective, to gain a perspective about Christmas that maybe you've never had before. Christmas is, is that one holiday amongst all of our holidays that is so loaded with tradition, so loaded with symbolism, so, so busy, so distracting. And many times we don't even really grasp the heart of what Christmas is all about. Compassion, the heart of the Father, that's the real difference between pity and compassion. Pity looks from afar and feels sorry for the person, but compassion jumps in and says, come on, let's do this together. Let's, let's get you out of this together. Let's break this thing off of you together. Let's get relief for you together. And that phrase in verse 13, he knows our frame, is so comforting. He knows how we are wired. I've talked about this so many times throughout the years. God knows exactly what triggers you. God knows exactly what's going to motivate you. God knows exactly how you're wired. He knows, uh, he knows how you're going to react to certain things. He knows how you're going to respond to certain situations. He knows what you've been exposed to, what I've been exposed to. He knows the limitations based on our life experience. And then he comes alongside of us, but the Holy Spirit inside us taking hold together with us, meeting the challenges 
Some of us have been exposed to things in our childhood, in our earlier years, that we don't even realize have traumatized us. And it's the reason we react. It's the reason we respond. It's the reason why certain things trigger us in ways where you think, well, something that really should require that much of a response is all of a sudden getting this much of a response. God knows that. And so he comes with his compassionate heart and he comes alongside us and he comes to live inside us so that he can work on us from the inside out and reproduce and transform and bring us to a place where we could be useful, not just to him. We're not just tools to be used by him, but useful to those around us, useful to our, to our spouses, useful to our families, useful to our friends, useful on the job, useful in the ministry. It's the compassion of God that activates things inside of us to change us and to transform us. Because he knows how you're wired, he knows what he needs to do to get you to the place where you can prosper in your faith. God is compassionate. He is sympathetic to the suffering of his people. He sees our distress and takes pity upon us. However, his compassion is more than just sympathy and pity. God's compassion is related to his mercy, his kindness, his patience, his grace, his forgiveness, and his love. It's all interconnected. In fact, some of these attributes are so related and interwoven as to make clear demarcations between them is difficult. It's difficult because everything falls under the compassion of God to say, well, this act of compassion is really mercy or this act of compassion is his love or this act of compassion is his grace. No, it's all. Its nature is all encompassing what you and I would describe as compassionate. Compassionate. God's compassion compels him to take action. And that was the message of the angels. I bring you glad tidings of great joy to all people. We would say it this way. I bring you too good to be true news that's going to affect everyone on this planet. One way or the other, that message has affected everyone on this planet. Every person, whether they realize it or not, is being affected. God's compassion for the lost and the miserable state that we were in led him to not only feel our pain, but to provide an atoning sacrifice for our guilt. This he did by sending his son to die for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Man, that, that takes a heart of, that is pure, that takes a heart that is devoted to make sure that even the ones that are going to show hatred and rejection to our God in heaven, God's heart is still towards them. God still sent his son. When you didn't want to know anything about him, God still sent his son and still arranged the, 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 the dealings in my life to make sure that I would have an opportunity way before I even wanted to know anything about him, way before I wanted to be bothered with anything to do. I didn't care about my sin, was perfectly content in my sin until the sin makes you miserable and unhappy and then you become desperate and then God's compassion is right there waiting for you, waiting for you to turn, waiting for you to shift your attention off of yourself, off of your sin, off of the things that you thought were pleasurable, and then onto him and say, Father, do whatever you have to do, whatever you've got to do in my life, Lord. It was his compassion that drew your heart. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you at one time were separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the state that you and I were in. That was the state of the world when the angels showed up and brought that message. But now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the compassion of God. Thank God that the compassion in Christ moved him, caused him to do things, miraculous things, miraculous, like sending the Holy Spirit to touch your heart and to touch my heart. We sing a song in church. What a beautiful name. And that contains the lyrics, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. That's compassion. Because he could have stayed in heaven. God, the Father's on the throne in heaven, could just have this condescending attitude like, either you line up with me, you do what I say, or I'm going to destroy you. I'm not going to have any pity on you. I'm going to leave you in your circumstance. I'm going to leave you in your darkness, your degeneracy, your filth. But that's not the heart of the Father. God the Father is not content in heaven without us. And therefore, he desires that all men should know, should repent and come to the knowledge of the truth so that we can turn and receive the gift of grace as a result of his compassion toward us. And the birth of Jesus is a perfect picture of God's compassion toward us. All throughout the Old Testament, God kept reminding his people that the Savior was coming. He's coming. He's coming. He told the prophets all that he would do when he got here. He warned, he warned his people. He admonished his people. He begged his people through the voice of the prophets to prepare themselves for the coming of this Messiah. He, even to the point of describing how they would be able to recognize this Messiah when he showed up, this Savior. In other words, they were telling him, this is what Jesus is going to do when he shows up on the earth. He's going to save his people from their sins. In Isaiah 35, I love the picture that's painted here of Jesus. You see Jesus' ministry here in Isaiah, written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus shows up in Bethlehem, before the angels came with that message of glad tidings, of great joy. Isaiah 35, verse 3, strengthen the exhausted and make the feeble strong. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened, and the ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Then those who limp will leap like a deer, and the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy. For waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Wow. This was the message all throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. God said, I, I see your condition. I see your plight. I see your suffering. I see the filth. I see the degeneracy. But he's coming. He's coming. And thank God. I, I, I look at it this way, because I thought to myself, you know, the message of the angels, the message of the angels is almost premature. You think about it. They come and they say, hey, this day is born unto you in the city of David as Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He said, the angel said, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, goodwill 
toward men from God. And you're like, wait a second, I read that. Even to this day, I read that and go, okay, but the results of that did not show up until Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And I've been thinking about this for years. Why would the angels act like, talk like, declare a message that the people would not see the results for at least another 33 years? And all of a sudden, I got this picture of God in heaven, like, like, like telling angels, I can't wait anymore. I can't wait to tell them. I can't wait to surprise them. Almost like I, I remember when our kids were small on Christmas, it was like you had everything to do to keep those presents tucked away because you could not wait to see the look on their faces. At that point in time, the house we lived in, we had this big set of stairs. You, I, we, my wife and I could not wait to see the look on the faces of our kids running down the stairs on Christmas morning, seeing all the gifts under the tree, and I see the father acting the same way. Like, like I can't wait any longer. I've been, I, I cannot wait any longer. Angels, go. Go tell him what's go tell him he's here. Go tell him he's arrived. Go tell him what he's going to do. Go tell him ahead of time. Hey, you, you know, there's no more war between us. There's no. I'm not mad at them anymore. Tell him I'm not mad at them anymore. Tell him my son is there. The Savior has been born in Bethlehem, and everything's going to change now. It's like God could not wait. He couldn't wait any longer, and he sent the angels to announce his rescue plan that was about to unfold. And then Jesus grew and matured into manhood and burst on the scene in his hometown of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And it was handed to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. How appropriate. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to pro proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What was he saying? He was saying the same thing that the angels said at his birth. The same thing on the night that he was born, the angels said the same thing. The message that Isaiah has been proclaiming has now come true. And what's the root of that message? It's compassion. It's like the heart of the Father spoke through the mouth of Jesus and said, I can't stand seeing my people brokenhearted. I can't stand by and see them imprisoned in their own minds. And no longer will I tolerate the enemy oppressing their souls. Now that same mission statement that came from the mouth of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, is the same message that you and I are commissioned to bring. Each one of us are to proclaim that same message of compassion. We are to proclaim the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You should be saying the same thing with me right now. To proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You and I, from a heart of compassion that God has placed in us, imitating our Father in heaven as we're told. Be imitators of God as dear children. You and I, 
in our imitation of our Father are to proclaim that same message. He's not mad at you anymore. He knows how you're wired. He knows what you're made of. He knows what you've been exposed to. He knows where your heart is. With all of our hearts, we should be proclaiming that same message. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He didn't look down at his nose at them. He didn't consider them filthy and dirty. He couldn't wait to get into the, into the mix. He couldn't wait to get into the middle of the crowd and do what? And release what everyone needed. Was it physical healing? Was it emotional healing? Was it deliverance? Was it peace? Was it provision? What, whatever it was, he could not wait to get into the middle of the multitudes to bring relief. Why? Because of compassion. Compassion activated something in Jesus. Power came forth in the proportion of the need of the multitude. He hated disease, so his compassion released healing. He hated lack, so his compassion provided. He hated condemnation, so his compassion refused to throw the first stone. He hated death, so his compassion released resurrection power. And Lazarus came forth. Compassion calls us to no longer live for ourselves but for those who need rescue. Compassion compelled Jesus. His compassion compels us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's you and me. That's you and me. We should not be living for ourselves. Our life should not be occupied and obsessed with just self. We're to, we are, in turn, are supposed to have compassion for others. Why? Because compassion calls us to live no longer for ourselves, but to live for the one who had compassion on us. This is so much more important than, than, than it seems on the surface. So much more important. Because, you know, we can get caught up in just the idea of compassion, compassion. But compassion, in theory, does not release relief to others. It's not enough to just feel bad for somebody. It's not enough to say, wow, I really feel bad that this happened to you. I'm really, you know, my heart's with you. If your heart's with me, then there should be some corresponding action. So much more important than it seems on the surface because we who have already been rescued should be all the more sensitive and compassionate towards those who are still in darkness. Christmas should stir something in our soul, apart from traditions, decorations, songs of the season. What Christmas should stir in us is genuine compassion for the, those that are beat down, those that are oppressed. And it should stir gratitude in us, gratitude, a heart of gratitude for the Lamb of God born to take away the sin of the world, including mine, including yours. Christmas should stir compassion for those that are beat down and gratitude for those of us who have been rescued. And out of that heart of gratitude, say, Father, you've done so much for me. Jesus, you saved me. You suffered on my behalf. I want to do something for those who do not know you yet. I want to be a voice. I want to be your hands. I want to be your, 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 your voice, your mouth. I want to be the one who draws people to you out of a heart of gratitude.
gratitude should, should launch us into an attitude of compassion. It's Compassion Weekend. What does that mean for us here? Well, this year, it means that you now have the opportunity to pray and ask God if there's a family, friends, neighbors that are in need. That maybe this 2020 has brought financial difficulty to a family that may be right in, in your sphere of influence in your neighborhood. It might be a coworker, a family member. It, it may be you, maybe you yourself, your family right now, maybe is experiencing financial difficulty. Well, we're prepared to take an, a, an action based on compassion to help meet the needs of 300 families, both in our Brick campus and in our Bayville campus. Now, the part that you play is having received instructions from our host before the teaching, go online and you register. You, you can register for yourself. If your family's in need, we, we bless you in the name of Jesus. Please do not take advantage of this because of pride or you're just a private type person. You don't want anybody to know. We've all been there. Please, if you're in need this year, let us supply you with the makings of your Christmas dinner. Beautiful turkey, groceries, the things that you're going to need to put that dinner together. Let us help you relieve that burden of worrying about where am I going to get the money to have a nice Christmas dinner this year. Now, maybe you're not in need this year, but maybe you know someone. Maybe you've heard somebody on the job talk about financial difficulty. Maybe you know some family down the street from you or an extended family member. Please register. Either get them to register their names or you register, and then you come on Saturday, December the 19th here at the Brick Campus or the Bayville Campus. From 10 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you come and pick up this expression of the love of God and the compassion of God. We call it box of kindness. You're going to get a turkey. You're going to get a box of groceries. And those groceries are going to be some of the components that you'll need for your Christmas dinner or they'll need for their Christmas dinner. Let us be the physical demonstration and manifestation of the compassion of God towards a family. This is an awesome opportunity we have. This is very close to my heart because many of you know the testimony of my wife and I and how we suffered financial disaster many years ago. But God brought us through. And sometimes God brought us through by using another family to bless us, using an individual to bless us. That encouraged us. That helped us to keep moving forward and keep trusting God. You have the opportunity right now to be that same blessing, manifestation of compassion of God towards another individual. So I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that God, our Father, the Father of all compassion, the Father of comfort, would show you who to bless, would show you what family needs to help. And then go online and register.
be a blessing. Bring the love of God to somebody this Christmas that will cause gratitude in their hearts and they in turn, out of the compassion that they've been shown, will now show compassion to others. And thereby, God will be glorified, Jesus will be magnified, and will accomplish his will on the earth. Amen. God bless you. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. I've enjoyed bringing it to you. God bless you. We'll see you again next weekend online. In Jesus' name, amen.